This morning's scripture reading is from chapter 10 of the book of Joshua, and you can find this on page 159 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided in the, church, in the chair pockets or at the end of the aisles. We'll read Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 1 and through to verse 21. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent Ahohem, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jamuth, to Japhia, king of Lashish, and to Deba, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jamuth, the king of Lashish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gagal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. <clears throat> Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gigal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gigal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Bath Haran, and struck them as far as Ezekiah and Magatar. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord obeyed the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp of Gigal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Machadar. And it was told to Joshua, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Machadar. And Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, 
Then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp of Machadah, and not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. It's nice to be up here. Something a little bit different. Good, we'll take, we'll take it. Um, so, basically, what I want to try and get across to everyone today is you can be either a fan of God on the one side, I think we have got a slide, or you can be a follower of God. I can't rush that quickly through it. Um, but anyway, I'll let those guys sort it out up there. Um, in order to be a follower of God, there's just a, there's a beautiful scripture where it says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And that is, to me, the most like life-altering scripture when we get an understanding of that concept. It is no longer I who live, this body I'm in now is no longer alive, but it is Christ Jesus who lives in me, the follower. Um, so I just want to start with a quick little story. It's my own analogy. I'm not very good at stories, and this is what I thought up. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. So you, some, all of us relate to sport. Um, some of us relate to watching a ballet at the Royal Albert Hall. And other of us, uh, some of us just want to sit on our couch and watch a beautiful uh, DVD of maybe someone scuba diving, seeing some new fish that they maybe haven't seen. All right, now you've got that, that sort of person on this side or on the other side, the follower side, you've got the ninth innings for the baseball fans out there. Bases are loaded. You need a grand slam to take home the World Series. All right, you're the pitcher. All right, so this guy's got some serious adrenaline pumping through him. Or you are actually standing behind the curtain. It's the opening night for... Swan Lake, and you are the lead ballerina. What's going through your mind? I mean, the adrenaline is pumping. Are you going to remember those 9,000 steps, or what are you going to do? Everything is just about to go. All right? Or, in Cayman, you're the, you're the scuba diver. You've got your gear on, and you're ready to go out on a new dive. You've never been there, and the emotions are running. And that's how I want to try and explain to you fan versus follower. A fan is someone who just sits on the sideline. All right? It's fulfilling. It's nice to watch a game of baseball. It's nice to watch a game of rugby. Or I'd probably enjoy the Royal Albert Hall as well. Um, Or you can be in the moment. You can have not this fulfilling life of sitting on the couch, or you can actually take the step and have a life-changing walk with God and being a follower of God. And I, I mean, this text, I'm just thankful to Ryan for giving me this text because if I had to preach on Joshua 8, I think I would be finished already. Um, 10 out of 10 for Ryan to be able to preach on all these things. He's, we're blessed with him. Um, what a great time to be an Israelite. Uh, you just seen how God had provided. Um, it was tangible. There was miracles all around. 
I mean, the, the environment in the, in the camp must have been amazing. I mean, just so alive with, yes, God is alive. Come, let's do this. Let's accomplish what God has uh, set out for us to do. And I, I'm going to tell you two more stories before I go into Joshua. And the first, story is about, first two stories about how prayer has been answered in my own life. The first one is, my sister had a beautiful baby boy, born normally, grew normally for nine months, and then uh, he just stopped growing, and no one knew what was going on, and he, he had eaten no food, he had only had breast milk for nine months up until this date, and it got to 16 months, and he hadn't grown from nine months. He had just been fed on breast milk, and he was regressing. And I know when my son or my daughter is sick, it freaks me out, and I think we all can relate to that. All moms or dads, when they get sick, it's pretty, pretty tough. And anyway, my brother-in-law has got his master's in theology. He, he understands God, and he prays to God, and my sister is born again and loves the Lord. And they had prayed for this child many times, and nothing had happened. And then they went to see the pediatrician, and, and uh, after 16 months on the one Friday, the pediatrician said, this kid needs to eat, or he is not. Uh, he's not going to survive. He's going to have to come into hospital, and we're going to have to feed him intravenously. So my sister went home. They were staying on a farm, and she, I've been debating whether I'm going to do this, but I am. And she was like this. She was on her knees, walking around with a little bottle of food, messing everywhere because this baby didn't have the coordination to chew. And there was a guy called Um Yan, which is Uncle John or Uncle Yan, and he was painting on the roof, and he said, Ma'am, have you prayed for this child? And she said, endlessly, since, since we knew there was something wrong. And he said, do you mind if I come down? And Umyan came down, got on his knee, laid his hands on my nephew's uh, body, and prayed for him. And instantly, he received healing, uh, and he was able to eat. And he ate... Um, that weekend, and immediately he just continued to eat like a normal child and was never had to go into hospital to be fed intravenously. So that was a huge instant miracle of prayer in our family's life, which was unbelievable. And then the second one was slightly different, and it's more like a prayer of persistence where we were with a group of uh, students and people got married and we had a lovely community group and what happened was the community group fell away just no church politics or anything just fell away some guys got married some guys finished their degrees anyway they were left with three of us Jamie Richard and Bruce and we decided what are we going to do we can go join another group or do we want to continue doing this thing so we decided to meet every Tuesday and we all know for students 6.30 a.m. is not a good time. As a father, it's actually late. Um, and uh, so we met and for two or three months. And, and within two or three months, God had brought a, an entirely new group of people together that we could, we could visibly just see how God had worked through us making a small commitment of prayer to change the situation. So there are there's those instant miracles which are great. And then there's also those times where we need to persist in prayer. All right, so now we get back to Joshua. How did he get to a, a place where he could pray such an incredible prayer? Sun stands still. 
Um, it's, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. No one's going to be praying those sort of prayers overnight. So firstly, to have such this audacious and bold, courageous faith, he must have walked with God. And if you look at Joshua's life, it's amazing how he was an apprentice to Moses for how many years? Maybe 40 years? Walking in the shadow of Moses. He was, he was the second in command on the way to the promised land. Um, time and time he had seen God's work, work at hand. I mean, think of it. He's in, he's in Egypt. He sees these plagues. The Israelites get assembled together and they get set free. The Red Sea is separated. I mean, Joshua is seeing God through his life all the time answer these prayers. Now you've got to picture God feeding the Israelites for 40 years, protecting them with fire by night so they don't get cold, and by the pillar of cloud, no? yeah, the cloud in the day, so they don't get sunburned. And, and then he feeds them as well. Every day he feeds them. So, I mean, if you, Joshua, you have walked a pretty good life. I mean, you're seeing God's hand at work in your life. And also, he, if that's not enough under Moses, he went with Caleb into the promised land as a spy. And he was the only one who came back with Caleb who said, God will give us victory. Because why? He knew God had taken them out, and he wasn't going to stop with the Israelites there. He was going to push on. And then as leaders, if that's not enough, okay, then he becomes leader of Israel. And then he sees the Jordan River separate. And then also, he walks around the walls of Jericho in obedience to God. None of us are going to walk around Cayman for one day, let alone seven days, all right, and see God handed over to us. We don't have that mindset now. But isn't that amazing, his perseverance and his obedience to what God had called him to do? And then what happens? Walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And then finally, just before he goes into battle here, the whole of Israel had assembled together as Ryan preached, and they had gone through the Pentateuch. And God had revealed himself in word to these people, and how now God is, is Joshua has seen all, this, all these things happen over 40 years, right? and now they're reading the word. I mean, he's in a good place. He's ready to pray some amazing prayers. Um, and in the midst of this battle where they, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, he says, Son, stand still. I don't know if I could pray that prayer right now. I just, I don't think I have that same faith. But I know that I'm on the journey. And I know I'm walking and I'm trying my best. And I know that God has not changed. And I know that he's able to do these things. Um, and I want to ask you guys, are, are you prepared to maybe ask for something that would be life-changing in your life? I mean, I know... There's many of us here who have, if I say, are you prepared to change something? You can go, boom, I'll change it. If I could change one thing, I would change that now. To turn from a fan to a follower. And I just want to give you three simple things that I think Joshua was very aware of in his walk with God. And it's definitely not rocket science. But I do believe in order for us to be followers of God, we need to have this sort of mindset and attitude. And number one is to be available anytime, anywhere. So I said it's not rocket science. 
But you just have to make yourself available to God. Because if you don't make yourself available to God, He's not going to be able to use you. You need to be available. And number two, have the correct attitude and belief of God is. Like if you think God is just some small God in a box, you need to go and listen to Louis Giglio's DVD on Indescribable. And you will realize how incredibly, infinitely awesome God is. And if you're praying to that God, how much easier is it for your prayers to have faith for your prayers to be answered? And this is the most important one, and this is what I love about Joshua's life, 40 years, to continually remind yourself that you are a follower of God. And I use the analogy of um, someone training for a marathon or someone who's into bodybuilding or something like that. When you train to do a marathon, you endure, you endure, you go through hard times, all right, and you get fitter and you get fitter and fitter until you can finally accomplish that feat of running the marathon. You've done the marathon and you stop. Two months later, you can't just go and run another, another marathon. And so it is with our walk with God. You walk, you remind yourself, you remind yourself, and then all of a sudden you stop. You stop making yourself available and you lose your spiritual fitness. And there, there is something in that spiritual fitness. It's the more you walk with God and you hold closely to His Word, you become fitter with God and you'll be able to have more faith in what God is able to do. So as I said, Joshua started under Moses, um, learning and experiencing the faith. And so it must be with us. We need to start with some people by our side as well. Um, how many of you, Nikki doesn't know I'm going to use it, but I'm just so encouraged by Nikki. Sorry, Nikki. Um, okay, I'm not talking about Nikki, but I'm just so encouraged by this girl we know. It's, she has been such a blessing to us, to Tammy and I. Not that we've spent huge amounts of hours with her, but we just see a walk. We see a light in her life, and, and we love it. And it's those type of people I want to hang out with, being a follower of God, because I know they're going to inspire me to go on. And that helps to mature your faith. And uh, we're so blessed um, with Kevin and Maggie, who've also just joined the church. Um, just blessed by them coming here. You see men and women who've walked fa faithfully for years. And it's cool to know that there's people like that here who we can look up to. As Joshua was looking to Moses, we can look to these people as well. And I include myself in that. No one is exempt. Um, and now this is the, my favorite part of the sermon. Joshua. He's marched through the night for 12 hours. We prayed through the night for 12 hours, or at least one of us did. Okay? <laughs> and so he's marched through the night for 12 hours in their armor and stuff like that. Then they fight for 12 hours. All right? Then Joshua says, Please stand still so we can, sun stand still so we can take this journey, take this battle, and be victorious for Christ. I mean, after 24 hours, I'm ready to give it in. But he saw what God was trying to accomplish here, and he, was ready. he didn't want to stop. He was three-quarters of the way through. He almost accomplished it, and he wanted to achieve that, that goal that God had given these guys into their hands. So 36 hours of battle, then another two to four hours of celebration. They've been, alive, they've been awake for 40 hours now. 
and um, sorry, uh, Ryan told me to number my pages. So I stapled them, but it didn't work. Okay, so they've been through this this 40-hour ordeal, and uh, now they're sitting around the fire. They've they've had two days of sleep. They finally, they're back in their own camp, and now they're talking amongst themselves. One of them says, mate, I was on my back. Sword was right up here. God was about to strike me, and boom, hailstone hit him. Here I am to tell the story. Or another guy's next to Joshua, and they, he's exhausted. He's done his 24 hours in, and he hears Joshua say, Son, stand still. He's like, You're kidding. We've been doing this for 24 hours, and now you want me to carry on doing this? Just think, think of all the cool stories that must have come out of, at that time, and and just how much, how many testimonies were out there from all the people. And God must have been so alive. So as we hang out with these people that encourage us and lift us up and help us to get testimonies, let's get testimonies of ourselves, And that helps us from being a fan to a follower. And those three things again. Be available anytime, anywhere. Have the correct attitude, belief that God wants to use you. And continually remind yourself that you are a follower of God. Continually remind yourself you're a follower of God. Continually remind yourself. And faith is ignited when we do what the Word says. And as we grow and we see God's work in our lives. George Miller was an incredible... um, Sorry. Can you believe it? I actually missed a page. George Miller was an incredible um, example to us all. Um, I don't know if some of you read Ryan's blog. He mentioned him. I'm just going to tell a little bit more about George. George Miller was in the 1800s, and he started an orphanage for orphans. And he, like, what is your... Your primary goal when you start an orphanage. If I'm a, if I'm a man and I think, yeah, there's kids who need me, I'm going to start an orphanage. I'm going to want to feed them. I'm going to want to educate them. And I'm going to want to give them a nice warm place to sleep. And I just want to look after their needs, their, their material needs. You know, That's, That would be my goal. And now I want you to just read George Miller. I'm going to read through it once with you guys. And then I want you to just read through it two or three times on your own, if you don't mind. Because I think it's, it's in, in some English that I had to read three or four times to understand. You got that one then? I'll just read it first on my own. George says, this was his mission statement for starting up an orphanage. He says, if I, a poor man, simply by faith and prayer, obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house. There would be something 
which with the Lord's blessing might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God. Besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted, of the reality of the things of God. Not so you can feed some people and make them have a better life. So just take 30 seconds and just, if you don't mind reading that one or two more times, just to let it sink in a bit. So Miller wanted whoever looked at his life, Christian or non-Christian, he wanted them to say, God is faithful to hear the prayers of his people. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And he he risked his entire life through prayer so that the greatness and the glory of God could be seen by God's provision. Not asking anyone, just God. If we try and do anything today, we think, who's got the most money that we can ask that could probably spare a couple of dollars to help us? Instead of coming before the Father, who is the creator of all men, and everything belongs to Him. Now, I think it's a no-brainer that we all want to like, live a life for God and be blessed by God. And I want to just remind all of us here that that we are born once and once only and that we will also die once. And you have a chance in this life to be a fan or you've got a chance to be a follower of God. And I know for sure that when I die, I want to know that I've been a follower of God. I don't want to sit on the outside. I don't want to see what's going on on the outside. I want to be on the inside of God's things. I want to be working hard for Him. And if I just bring it to sunrise, I want to just say that materially, we are so blessed. If you look just from a venue point of view or from the coffee and the chairs, I mean, we sit in Rolls-Royce luxury here. We're not sitting under some tree. You know, we are really blessed um, uh, materially, but it's, it's spiritually and emotionally that it's so much easier to put up a mask on your face. It's amazing how kids just bring the best out of themselves on a day when your father has to preach. Annabelle cried for half an hour this morning. And we're like, why she, what's wrong with her? Like, why is she crying? She just didn't want to wear shorts. You know? You know, why do they do that to us? And you can put up, it's so easy to put up a mask and say, you know what, we're blessed, man. Life is amazing. We have no problems. Life is easy here on the island. It's relaxed. I don't have a nanny anymore. I have to clean dishes. Like, what's up with that? It's not, well, for me, it's, it's tough. But materially, I'm very blessed. But emotionally and spiritually, I need to be in prayer. I need to know that I'm coming to a God who is greater than anything and I can be a follower of Him. And despite 
my, my material circumstances, I can come to him and he can satisfy me spiritually and emotionally. God uses, in my opinion, 90% of the time, he uses people like me and you, Jeremy, Sheena. He uses us to touch the lives of other people, to help motivate them to become followers of God. Really believe that. 90% of the time, he uses people to encourage and to motivate people from being a fan to a follower. And then 10% of the time, when you're at a low in your life, God will just come behind you and he'll motivate you himself and he'll give you a word of encouragement or something amazing that he does regularly. And we end with two questions. For the fans out there, I want to ask you, are you brave enough to metamorphosize yourself from a fan to a follower and take the risk of getting involved in the game and not being a spectator watching like we spoke about in the beginning? And for the followers out there, what simple act of obedience are you struggling with you? Is a struggle for you? And are you committed to change in order to better serve him? Amen. And now we are, if we can just stand, we're going to take up the offering now. Um, but again, I'll just read those two questions. While we're taking up the offering and we've got a song playing, are you brave enough, if you're a fan out there, to, re- to metamorphosize your- yourself from a fan to a follower? And if you're a follower out there, what simple act of obedience is a struggle for you and are you committed to change? in order to better serve him.